Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Fellowship. We've been talking about relationship with God, friendship with God. Um, last week, I opened with John 15, 15, and I'm going to read that again. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's Know his master's business. Indeed, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We've been talking about that relationship that we have with God, that special relationship. We read in Acts 17 how Paul summarized what God did and why he did it by saying it was in order for us to reach out and have relationship with him. We have been invited by God to be in a relationship, in an intimate relationship with him. I've, I've heard it said that, that as Christians... We don't participate in a religion. We participate in a relationship. It's not, it's not about the ritual of whether we come to church or don't come to church or whether you stand and sit how many times. It's, it's about a relationship with him. We come to church because we desire relationship with him. We desire to grow in that relationship. We desire to grow in a relationship with each other, which he says he considers of spiritual value. So today we're going to be talking about intimacy with God. What does it take to have a relationship that goes beyond just the surface? I know you, you know me, there we go. So I'm going to go old school and we're going to do an acrostic. How many, how long has it been? How many of you guys take notes on a regular basis? Okay, if you don't take notes, this will be a fun week to do it because it'll be easy. We're going to go through the word intimacy, and we're going to hit one point for each of the letters in that word. I stands for interest. In order for there to be an intimate relationship, there has to be interest both ways. How many of you guys have ever watched, like, a sitcom? You ever notice that they always have this like underlying romantic interest thing going on, but they never like the the, the one is interested in the other, but the other isn't really sure about it, and they and and the very time when this person finally decides, I think I like them, they decide to go to something. Have you ever noticed that? Like daytime television, they they recognize in order for the relationship to succeed, there has to be interest by both parties at the same time. And these television shows keep us watching every week, longing to see that relationship going. Why? Because they make sure that it never quite matches up. And like for a, a, a brief little moment in time, they'll match, but then they'll, they'll miss it. Something, something unexpected will happen, and then you'll, get, then, then you'll watch a whole other season waiting to see if they finally get to get together. Here's what the Bible says. In Psalms, it describes, or David says, as the deer... Panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's, that's us. We, he describes himself as longing after God. Then God responds in Psalm 17. He says, he says keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadows of your wings. It, the Bible describes us as being the apple of God's eye. 
We are blessed that God is interested in us. I used the example last week of how in, in so many other religions, they are just doing crazy things to try to get God's attention. They, they, they're sacrificing and they're doing different things and they're walking across broken glass and climbing up mountain trails, doing all kinds of things. Why? Because they want to get God's attention. If I do this, then God will pay attention to me. But we understand from Scripture, God is already interested in you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His interest is already there. You know what? If there is an issue with interest, it's not on his part. It's on ours. We step up. Like David said, may our heart long after him. Interest is number one. There needs to be mutual interest. Two, newness. How many of you have ever gotten like a new car? Oh, isn't it nice? Like all the nooks and crannies, there's no crumbs in the seat. There's like, I I personally think that new cars stink when they smell like that rubber, but you can go to the store and buy perfume that smells like that stinky, recently fabricated rubber. Why? Because people love having a new car so much that they will purposely make their car smell like recently fabricated rubber. And we recognize something new is exciting. There is a, a, a freshness. We look at, at relationships, and, and we call it the honeymoon phase, when people are so excited with the newness of it all. It does not have to end. The Bible says in Lamentations 3.22, Your mercies are new every morning. You see, God brings newness to our relationship all the time. What does it take to keep that sense of newness in a relationship? I'll never forget one of my friends and and, uh, briefly a roommate of mine in college. His name was Sean. And Sean drove... A, I don't remember what year it was, but it was a flare side F-150. And he had had that car for years. But he's in college, and I don't know what the gas mileage was on a 1990-something F-150, but it wasn't good. And he decided he would get something else. So he took his truck that he had had for quite a few years, he brought it to the dealership, and traded in on some little economic vehicle. And when he got home, he realized he forgot something. I think it was the license plate or forgot something on the truck. So he went back to the dealership and he said, hey, um, I, need, I need to get something from, from the car. And they said, well, we always send the vehicles back to our cleaning crew and they spend a couple of hours detailing it and all of that so for sure your vehicle is back there because it's like he dropped it off in the morning he's there in the afternoon so he goes over there to where that's at and they said he said well they tell me that my car is here um i need to get something that i left in it or on it like i said it might have been the license plate and and the fellow said oh was that yours they said when we got it it was so pristine we just sent it out to the floor Now, I think about his vehicle, and he would. He was one of those folks. He would keep his car pristine. He was 
always taking care of it. He didn't take it for granted. I think of another friend of mine um, who bought a brand new vehicle and within weeks there were like 17 McDonald's bags just full of the leftovers in the back seat. And that newness was gone, like fast. Whereas my friend Sean kept that newness for years. How do you keep newness in a relationship? First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Gratefulness. Gratefulness is what maintains that feeling. When someone is in a brand new relationship, you know what they are? They're grateful to be in a relationship. Because just a little bit ago, they were single. And they're excited. But after a while, they start to take that for granted. And they're not grateful anymore. In fact, instead of noticing the good things about what's going on, they're noticing all of the bad things. And they've got a laundry list of the things that they don't like or appreciate. If we desire to keep that newness, and as you're going to notice, we're talking about our relationship with God, but this will apply to our relationships with each other. Gratefulness. So, interest, newness, and then the next T is time. Time. So, I grew up um, as a pastor's kid at our church. If I wanted to talk to the pastor, guess what I did? Just walked in and talked to him. But then I went to college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was going to a, a church, a very large church, and, and at the time, our church was relatively large as well, but I'm, I'm at this really big church, and I wanted to meet the pastor. I had something I wanted to talk to him about, and so I showed up at the office, and I said, hey, I'd like to speak to Pastor Billy Joe Watts. It was the, the particular pastor I was looking for, and they said, well, do you have an appointment? No. I say, okay, well, we'll get you on the schedule. Here's the thing. I didn't have access to, to time with him. Why? Because we didn't know each other. I mean, in a sense, he was my pastor. I was there. I, I listened to him speak on the weekend. But I couldn't just walk into his office. And, and I said, okay. You know, I had a quick question I wanted to ask. I said, sorry. So you put me on the calendar. I said, um, you know, during that time, I think he got a phone call, and they passed the phone call through, and I got an idea. I said, so I need an appointment to see him in person. Do I need an appointment to call? I walked out and I called from a, uh, a payphone, didn't have a cell phone at the time, asked him my question and got through. But the point I want to make is when there is intimacy, you allow and take time. We need to be willing to let God interrupt our day. I had no intimacy with that pastor, so I wasn't allowed to just barge into his office at any time. With my own father, yeah, I could do that. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus set aside time 
for God. Jesus did that in order to maintain intimacy with the Father. How do we think we're going to pull it off without it? Well, I'd like to be close with God. Sounds good to me. I'm not going to stop it from happening, but I'm... But you realize it's not going to happen if we don't set out that time. You can take a look in Psalm 63. It's kind of a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in the first verse, it says, You, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And then that, ver- that whole chapter continues to go on, and you see this, this desire that's going on, this relationship that's there. And then in verse 6, it says, On my bed I remember you. I think of you throughout the watches of the night. We need to be willing to let God interrupt us throughout life. If God is only considered between the moments of 9.30 and 10.45 on Sunday mornings, then that's, that's not an intimate relationship where it's like, you know what, God, I have your time, you have this time, and that's the only time. It's not God time yet, so I'm going to wait until Sunday, and then I'm going to think about God. Now, David demonstrates for us in in Psalm 63, but also throughout the the whole Psalms, what it looks like to, to just allow God in at whatever time, early, late, every watch of the night, it says. You're allowed Give him an opportunity to interrupt. Welcome those interruptions. Interest, newness, time, and then the next I is involvement. Involvement. Not all time is equal. I want you to picture for a minute a family with a teenager. Okay, (laughs) some of you have had teenagers start laughing already. (sighs) How many of us parents ever wanted family time? Have you ever tried to force family time? You know, your teenager's like, hey, I want to go out on on such and such a day, and my friends are going to get together, and I want to go do this thing with them. And and I want you to picture the parent who is just craving family time. And he says, listen. I understand you want to be with your friends. I understand you want to see your friends. But this this Saturday, we're going to have some family time. From 10 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon, I want you home because I want some time with you. After that, you can go hang out with your friends. Now, that teenager is there. But his arms are crossed. And he's watching the clock. The time is being set aside, but there's no involvement. There's no involvement. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. We have to recognize if we get involved, God will match that and come towards us. We don't have to worry about that. The opening verse that I read today, he says, I call you friends because I tell you things. I share with you. I am involved with you. Now, you can be involved with me. 
I love the example of pulling out to pass. How many of you guys, when there's a dotted line, will consider passing? I've noticed some people won't. That, that, it can be 55, and they're going 34, and then they'll just stay back there. But if you are a passer, and you look out there, and you look way down, and you see that there's just a big stretch of open road, and you pull out to pass, and they're doing 50, and you get going 55, and you start to pass, and you see a car coming. Have you ever noticed that the car next to you, your, your position relation, in relationship to them is changing slowly? But when you're doing 55 and they're doing 55, that's 110. And you guys are coming at each other. That gap is closing fast. Why? Because you're headed for them and they're headed for you. That's what God describes his relationship with us. He says, hey, if you will put in the effort and draw near to me, I will match it and I'll come at you. He will, that, that distance gets eaten up fast. Involvement. Don't be like that teenager who's like, okay, God, I'm here from 9.30 until 10.45. I'm waiting. And then we burst out the door. <laughs> the next one is moments. Now, I'm going to continue with that same example in a minute, but I want you to imagine, how many of you guys, let me just describe this, this commercial that I remember watching, and some of you will remember it when I get to that part, but there's this scene, and it's like the golden hour, you know what the golden hour is, it's like the first or the last hour of light in the day when, when everything, the colors are extra crisp and photos turn out really nice, and, and you've got this, this couple that are just, you know, immaculately dressed, and then they're out in the, the perfect environment, and it's golden hour, and they're sitting in there, and they start to lean in towards each other, and you just, the music is playing, the ambiance is just right, everything is there, they're having a moment, and then all of a sudden, in comes this bunny rabbit, boom, 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 goes charging through the screen. How many of you guys remember those commercials? There was a moment happening, and then it was shattered. And the couple that are, the, they, you know, they look over and they see the, the bunny rabbit doing its thing, and out there go, and then Energizer just keeps going and going. And they would have that bunny interrupting all kinds of, of moments because we naturally recognize sometimes there are special moments. Now, I want you to go back to that family picture that we had. We've got the teenager who is waiting for 2 o'clock to arrive, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. He's resisting his parents' desire to spend some family time. But then 1.30, 1.45 comes along. And let's just imagine that the dam breaks and suddenly they begin to connect. And they're sharing, they're talking, they, they bust out a game and they start to play this game and they're laughing and, and the moment is just powerful. And then in the distance, you hear the clock tick and two o'clock comes. The moment's been going for about 10 minutes max. 
And that family time that the father was longing for, the connection that he desired to make, has finally begun in the last 10 minutes of that time. And the kid looks at his clock and says, well, I get to go now, and marches out the door. How many of you realize that that would damage the intimacy? Because he didn't value the moment. There are moments in our relationships with others. There are moments in our relationships with God, and we need to value those moments. That moment may take place in your car on your way home from work. And you're, you're listening to the radio and the worship song is going and, and you get there and you pull into the driveway. Do you just shut off the car and jump inside because we're home? Or do you take a moment, treasure that time, value that moment, stay in his presence? They don't happen all the time. Not every time has to be extended. Some people try to make up for in length what they lack in depth. You ever been to one of those church services? Who just think as long as it's long, it's good. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But when it's good, don't cut it off. Those moments. There are special moments. In Exodus chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 5, we have the situations when Jesus or God came to Moses and came to Joshua. And there was a special presence in that place. And God said to Moses and he said to Joshua, he said, take your shoes off. For the place that you are standing is holy ground. It wasn't the place, it was the presence that made that place special. And God invited them. He said, I'd want you to treat this moment, this place, and this time differently than every other moment, every other place, and every other time. And he said, take your shoes off as, as an external expression of reverence for what's happening. There will be moments. Some of those moments will happen in this room. But I pray those aren't the only ones. There are moments that take place at home. And if you have not, if, if you say, I cannot remember, I double dog dare you to pray for one. Ask for it. Say, God, give me an opportunity. And I'll bet you'll get one. And when you do, don't squander. Don't be like that teenager who says, well, two o'clock exactly, I get to go be with my friend. Finish the hand. Enjoy that time. Demonstrate to the Father that this is something that you value, just like we see Scripture tells us that He values it. Next, intimacy. We had moments, and now we have atmosphere. Atmosphere. When I was growing up, we didn't, how would I put it? We watched TV on purpose. If there was a television show we wanted to make, we watched the clock, we showed up, and I, you know, 
11 o'clock was Looney Tunes, and I would try to get there by 11 o'clock. Usually I was outside playing, and I'd forget, and I wouldn't show up on Saturday morning. I missed most Saturday morning cartoons because I was outside playing. But we would come back. We'd turn the TV on from the start of a show to the end of a show, and that was it. That's, that was what I understood television to be like. Then I went to college, and I got a roommate. And later I visited his home and discovered <clears throat> that the TV was the background music for their entire life. The TV was on, like 24 hours a day in their home. They just had that television on. And, and now, he and I were, were, were Bible school students. Um, we're, we're studying our stuff. I remember the day when he was preparing for a message. Like, he is, he is writing a sermon. And he's sitting in the couch. And from me to Christian away, the TV is blaring, and it's Jerry Springer. I didn't know what Jerry Springer was until I was this guy's roommate. I'd never turned the TV on at that time of day. If you don't know, there's just some really weird, awkward, just crazy stuff. And here he is. He's sitting on the couch preparing a sermon while Jerry Springer is determining how unfaithful this person was to somebody else and what kind of insanities they're doing. And it just, I was like, I literally said, I said, aren't you going to turn it off? He's like, why? And I, I was just like, you mean the answer to that isn't self-evident to you? You see, he wasn't, valuing the moment. There was no moment so sacred that the TV needed to turn off and you just focus your attention. And we, that's, it sounds silly for a pastor to prepare his message during Jerry Springer. And maybe you've not had that exact situation. But I think we understand the idea that we can, we can be intentional about the atmosphere. We can be intentional about the atmosphere. There is a powerful story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. King Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. And the Bible says that they found David who would play the harp. And they invited him to come and that David would play his harp in the presence of the king. And then scripture says, and I'll just read this tiny little excerpt. It says, then it says, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him when David would play his harp. Now here's the part that always amuses me. It doesn't say, and would David would begin to recite the powerful lyrics of the Psalms. It says when he would play his harp. Now, is there power in the lyrics of the Psalms? Absolutely. The Bible says that God's word does not return void. There is power in God's word. There is also spiritual power in music. 
Some people have asked, you know, is, are there certain genres? Like, worship music is spiritual, but is, is pop music not? Is all pop music bad? Is all you know, heavy metal good and heavy, or all heavy metal bad and all heavy, or is all heavy metal good? Is rap good? Is hip hop good? Is, is, and they get stuck on the genre as if there is a genre that is godly and there is a genre that is not. And I will never forget hearing from a man by the name of Stephen Wiley in the 80s when rap had just become, and he, he considered himself to be the first Christian rapper. I don't know if he was. But he made this statement and I will never forget it. He, he pointed out that, that verse, and he said this. He said, the spirit that was on David entered the music that he played. And it was not the notes that he chose. It's not like there's a certain melody that only David knew that, that drove the spirit out. It wasn't a certain genre that David happened to champion that caused the spirit to leave. It was the godly spirit that was on David. And he, he said this, he says, I have been in recording studios where the, the, the musicians are depressed. The musicians are, are followers of, of satanic religions and, and all of these different things that, that are ungodly. And when they play, the spirit that is on them is in the music. And he said, and I have been in recording studios playing the same genre of music where the drummer, the guitarist, the singer are all spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-filled Christians who love the Lord with all their heart. And he says, and the spirit that is on them is in the music. I am not here to tell you you cannot listen to, to, to music that's, that's by someone who isn't a Christian. I'm not here to tell you that. I don't think that the scripture says you can't. I just want you to understand there is a spiritual component to music. There is a spiritual component to, that, that imbues that. If, if I get on an elevator, and it doesn't happen these days anymore, but back in the 90s it happened all the time. You get on an elevator and somebody's smoking with you, does it kill you? No. Now, that smoke is bad for them. It's bad for me. But in small doses, it's, it's, it's a negative influence on my body, but it's not something that my body can't handle. But what happens if I just fill my car every day with smoke, secondhand smoke or, or firsthand smoke? And if I'm in my home every time, I'm constantly around that. Studies have shown you don't even have to be the one smoking the cigarette. You can get cancer from secondhand smoke. Why? Because it is perpetually attacking your body. There is Now, to me, this is, this is my thing. Some music is like spiritual secondhand smoke. The spirit that is on that is, is like, it, like it drove the spirit away from David. The godly spiritually infused music drove the evil spirit out. There are music that is bombarding us in a negative way. The choice is yours to set the environment. Not every moment 
has to be specially engineered. But if you want to have an intimate relationship with God, let there be moments where you purposely control the atmosphere, where you turn off the TV, turn off Jerry Springer or whatever it is that is on at that same hour of the day these days, and you say, you know what, God? As your word says, I will be still and know that you are God. Whether you purposely make things quiet or whether you purposely find some music played by a person with a godly spirit and fill that room with that environment. Seek out times and places. After I drop my kids off at school, sometimes I like to drive near our house. There's a, there's a gravel road that just goes out and ends at nothing. And there's some lakes out there. And I'll go there, pull over, watch the sun rise, read the word, pray. Just a moment to take control of the environment, of the atmosphere. Is it necessary that the atmosphere be ideal at every moment? Absolutely not. Can you pray while you're working at the assembly line at work? Yes, you can. There is nothing wrong with, with enjoying those moments that aren't perfectly engineered, but don't leave those moments out completely. I encourage you, take time to take control of the atmosphere on occasion and be intentional. C, C stands for commitment. Luke 16, 13 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Commitment. I remember, I still remember, when I was in college, there was a couple um, that, I don't know if you remember had any of these, but they were like the perpetual inseparable couple that were just always, they'd been dating the entire time that they were in college. They were there for like, four years, I think I was talking to them, they were seniors, and somebody asked the, the fellow, and you thought, oh, well, these guys, they, 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 their relationship must be really solid. And somebody brought up marriage. And the guy immediately said, I won't even consider marriage for 10 more years. Now, here's my question to you. When you heard that he had no willingness to commit, what happened to your opinion of their relationship? Boom! I mean, it went from here, because I described them as this couple that was always together and everything, and then suddenly when you realize there's no commitment there, it was like, boom. It went down. Why? Because we naturally understand a truth about relationship. Relationship requires commitment. It requires commitment. The Bible describes this as you can't be committed to two opposing things. Our society tries to sell us a lie by telling us you can have the relationship you always wanted without any commitment. You want fun? You want excitement? Well, just go out to the bar. Have as many one-night stands as you'd like. It's going to be wonderful. You don't have to have a relationship with the same person for a long time. Just have, have the relationship you want whenever you want it with whoever you've got that happens to be there. 
Is that intimacy? Will, will there be fulfilling relationship there? No, it's missing something. If a relationship is doing well and you add commitment to that relationship, you have improved it. Commitment isn't the only ingredient in a relationship. I'm first to admit. It's not the only thing. But it is a necessary thing to reach its maximum potential. Commitment. You do not improve a relationship by removing commitment. So many people think, I'll just threaten divorce. That'll fix my marriage. (laughs) No, it won't. Because you're pulling out one of the foundational pieces. And then you're hoping that it'll perform better. That's not... That's that's a perversion of the principles of relationship. God designed us for a committed relationship with him. He put marriage down there for the purpose of being an example of an unconditional love relationship. Let's close with why. To yield. Revelations chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, will sup with him, and he with me. The Bible paints us a picture of Jesus standing at our door knocking. It does not paint a picture of Jesus with a battering ram smashing his way into your life. It says he's he's at the door, he knocks. It says if you will open the door and let him in. James chapter 3 verse 17 says, Wisdom is from above, it's first pure, peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield. God doesn't force his relationship on us. We have to be willing to yield to him. We have to invite him in. The Holy Spirit, someone put it this way, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. You have to invite him in to the relationship that you desire to have.